Welcome back to the Be There in 5 podcast. I am Kate. I may sound a little bit more chipper today because I, I am finally reporting live from my new apartment. That took me months to get into, and I appreciate all of your patience as you endured months of me complaining about my living situation, but I was carefully masking it as, you know, just being open and honest about where I am in my life that week. But really, I, I, I needed to vent, and sharing that helped me greatly. And I'm glad we're here. And, you know, I picked this Eric Carmen song, Make Me Lose Control, for several reasons. But the main one is that the overarching feeling in my life right now is a loss of control in, for several reasons. Um, I am so happy to be here. I really love this place and I fought for it. And I, you know, spent months and months and months looking and then I finally found it and I loved it. But then a bunch of stuff happened and we couldn't be in until a month after we had to be out. And all the while, I was just trying to be cool to my husband and be like, yeah, it's not a big deal. I'll get a sublet. Totally chill. I'm unbothered. It's whatever. You go to work. I'll figure it out. And, you know, up until three days before we had to be in a sublet and out of our last place, I didn't have anywhere to go. Did I tell him? Absolutely not. The key to life, the, the key to appearing breezy is to put a crap ton of effort into appearing effortless. Everything I do is difficult because I make it difficult because I'm incredibly picky and I have high standards and I have high standards for other people that they don't meet and then I get disappointed and I get frustrated and then I will reroute my entire plan. Uh, but I don't need to drag everybody through that because I know it'll end up fine because it usually does because I think that people that care and that are productive and have good intentions and know what they want will eventually end on a solution that they are happy with, but it is often rocky to get there. And I don't think you need to drag everyone through it. So when we showed up at this sublet, that was a perfect situation. The day that we had to move, that we found a couple that was in our inverse situation, they needed to, they had a month of overlap in their lease. We had a month gap. Uh, I was just like, oh yeah, yeah, see, I told you it'd be fine. Meanwhile, I'd spent like weeks tormenting and just going from place to place trying to find anybody that would take us. I was like knocking down uh, corporate housing places being like, Hey, so I have this, I don't know if you've heard of it. Like I have a podcast and you know, it's, it's doing pretty well. And I have a once in a lifetime offer for you to be my first sponsor to let me live at your unit for a heavily discounted price. And I will sing your praises and I will take adorable photos of my dog in your living quarters. And uh, I know this is the offer of a lifetime, so get in line and I will, you know, evaluate the offers carefully. Nobody bit. Well, I got $300 off one place and then they tried to charge me a $400 dog fee. And I was like, how, 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 would you, how are you sponsoring me and I'm losing money? Uh, it, what, it wasn't a great situation. So, and apparently anywhere, uh, for a lot of condo boards and stuff, any rental terms under three months is considered vacation housing. And people are really cracking down on Airbnbs. So long story short, be careful if you think that 
you can easily just hop in somewhere for a month or two. It was so much harder than I thought. And I created a lot of chaos for myself. But the point is, it was all worth it because, you know, I don't mean to brag, but I do have an ice maker now. I have a machine in my refrigerator that forms cubes of ice and I press a button and and they come out in my cup and they are clean and they don't smell weird like Sonia Morgan's. And, um, you know, I have a garbage disposal. I, 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 I can put things like eggshells in it. Wait, no, is that, is that bad? No, that's coffee grounds. No, that's popcorn. I don't know. I haven't had a, I don't even know. Honestly, I don't even, I probably won't even use it because I'm just so used to having like shards of food in my garbage. Um, and, uh, last but not least, I have a WD in you washer dryer unit. What a thrill. What a life. I can't even believe I can wash my towels in privacy on a regular basis and not wait till, you know, they don't pass the sniff test. I am so excited to have a, I have a, not only do I have a second bathroom, which to me is a true luxury, it has, I get this, a shower, two showers. I don't have to wait in line. I, 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 I don't have to ask somebody when they're showering if I have somewhere to be. I, there's a tub where I can wash my dog's paws off. I mean, truly, guys, I'm so excited. And I don't want you to think I've changed. I, I'm always going to be me. <laughs> Though these small things do provide me a quality of life that I'm happy to be seeing at the age of 30. Um, the other loss of control I'm feeling as of now. You know, guys, I, I'm, I'm hoping this is a calibration error. My scale has been through a lot. It has been in storage. It has been shaken around in a box. I'm sure it has no idea where it is and is 20 pounds off. But I stepped on it for the first time since living in our sublet. And I've gained a casual, a cash eight pounds, a cool eight. Like what? I, I was living in like a place with no AC that was four stories up. I thought I was honestly getting ripped. I thought that I was like the, uh, I don't know, epitome of health and fitness. I was incredibly proud of myself for, you know, weathering through uh, a small, hot apartment that was so hot that like I put, I showed a picture on Instagram. I put Benadryl on the counter because again, I was like slightly allergic to it. And it was, it would just melt. It was the craziest thing because when you're, yeah, I don't know, whatever. I guess if, should my scale be right? It's definitely not wrong because I do not feel great. I, regardless of what the scale says, it's all about how you feel, right? And I've been feeling like a little blah. And I, w- I just want to take this opportunity to say that I'm not pregnant because I, I know that's what everyone always says with the second you feel off or weird or unusual. But no, I, I know exactly why I've been feeling blah lately and just unmotivated and just like I am always full yet I'm always hungry. And that's kind of the worst place to be in, right? And I blame it on one thing. Jewel Osco. Jewel Osco is the regional grocery chain in Illinois. It's just like Publix or Safeway or Ralph's, Martin's, Wegmans. That's a little higher end. But it's, it's you know, you, you flew lion, you get the drill. Um, and the thing is, I have for the longest time only lived by grocery stores like Trader Joe's, like Aldi. I'd even group Whole Foods into this because... Well, Trader Joe's and Aldi don't have normal grocery store setups. They're smaller. They, they private label mostly everything. And they don't have that same store mapping 
where you walk into the grocery store and you are overwhelmed with private labeled grocery store brand baked goods. And there is a place in my heart for unbranded grocery store cheese coffee cake for a multi-pack of danishes, all with varying jelly flavors. Toss the apricot, obviously. Nobody's got time for that. Uh, a rainbow cookie. Uh, uh, truly a, a, an unbranded plastic bin of powdered donut holes. Uh, lift me up where we belong. I can fly higher than an eagle. I, it brings me to places that I can't even explain. I love a grocery, a traditional grocery store baked goods section. And at the sublet, I lived near a Jewel Osco that had that right when you walked in. And I may or may not have been picking up a weekly batch of powdered donut holes. So not only was I having that for breakfast, which starting, you know, it, it can't be a great thing to just start your day off with a ball of sugar that is enrolled in more sugar. But I think that maybe, you know, I just, it's the same reason why there's one year in life when I got a trainer and was like, I'm going to work out and I'm going to be a normal person like everyone else who gets endorphins, I think they're called. And I gained weight when I got a trainer because I was exercising so much. I felt so bad for myself. And I thought I was burning so many cows that I just thought I could eat a lot more and exercising made me so much hungrier. So it's, I don't know, I have problems. Um, but as I always say, God is fair. I've complained a lot about being tall on this podcast, about not being a pocket girl, about having aerial views at bars and feeling like when I was single, you know, people weren't really interested because at my size, to really be comfortable, you need more of a California king. But I was single at an age where most people were still rocking doubles they had in college from their childhood bed. And, uh, you know, it's just, I just never felt like cute. That said, I'm going to flip it on its head and say, the great thing about being tall is when you gain weight, you have a few extra inches for it to stretch out, making it less noticeable, making me not really realize until just now that I gained eight pounds. <laughs> so uh, anyways, I have to tell you this because it's a little bit funny just because I don't know. It, it, what are you going to do? <laughs> it, it's uh, I think a lot of times when you're in like transition phases or it's like when you vacation and stuff, a lot of it's just water weight and like life, weight ebbs and flows. I, my superhero name would be the fluctuator. I, I don't know. I, it's just, I can live my life to be in a bikini twice a year, or I can live my life to look half decent in clothing. And I choose to do the latter. I, it's just having a six pack isn't valuable to me, but it's valuable to other people. And that's fine too. It's all about how you feel. Um, and right now, I feel like I just really, really want some salt and vinegar chips, which are my bed chips, which, case in point, something I could probably afford to let go of to shed the last few. But uh, I have no reason for telling you this. I don't want compliments. I'm not fishing. I'm just telling you that, uh, you know, we all go through the same stuff. And even when you think you're on the wagon, you are so far off the wagon, forging through the Snake River, about to go to an impassable trail, kind of hoping your meat does spoil, because if you eat one more buffalo, in my case, you know, buffalo chicken wrap, which is my primary thing I order everywhere I go, the perfect buffalo chicken wrap, which many places have not figured out, is A, obviously a crispy chicken tender, not grilled, 
uh, already doused in the sauce. Believe it or not, some people just put a chicken tender and put the sauce on later, which is insanity. It's imperative, if you're going to have cheese, that it be a provolone, a mild cheese, a white mild cheese, not a cheddar, not, not an American, and that the cheese be melted with the chicken on a grill griddle. I also should say that the, the chicken is preferably chopped and is chopped up and reheated on some sort of hot surface where you can then lay the provolone over it, mix the chicken and the cheese, then place it in the wrap. Once it cools slightly, you put the lettuce on, but ideally you toss the lettuce in a ranch and not just a Ken's or Hidden Valley ranch. The true heroes are the restaurants that go out of their way to make it from the packet. I need a buttermilk ranch. I need a from scratch ranch. It, 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 it makes all the difference. And frankly, there's just no excuse for prepackaged food service ranch these days. But you put, and I, and I don't like blue cheese with buffalo chicken, which I know the like popular thing is a celery, carrot, blue cheese, buffalo vibe. I am allergic to carrots and celery, which I know sounds made up, but it is not. <laughs> so I think that that might skew my palate because if you're a place that skews blue cheese buffalo, you probably are also skewing finger or handheld, you know, vegetables, which I can't do. Anyways, my point is you divide your, your hots and your colds, your lettuce and your dressing, whatever vegetables, have a tomato, it's your funeral, they ruin sandwiches. Uh, but and then your meat and your cheese, you combine them. That, that is my perfect buffalo chicken wrap. And all of it needs to be um, tossed in the dressing. That is like an important piece. There shouldn't just be a layer or like a squirt of it. You need even uh, dressing distribution with each bite. And you should also provide a side of dressing should you want a little bit more. Don't make me feel like a fool for asking like a side. That is my perfect BF BCW situation. Not that anybody asked for it. But you know, if you're going to use your platform for good, uh, why not take a minute to share with everyone what I think is the perfect yet underrepresented method of uh, making a truly good buffalo chicken wrap. And this buffalo chicken wrap can be found at a restaurant called McAdoo's in Southwest Virginia. And I believe also in Farmville, Virginia. I'm, do I'm doing the same thing that I did with queso. It's so not fair. I'm basing my perfect recipes off of things I grew up eating in Virginia and suggesting that like there's some phenomenon that the Mid-Atlantic has like the finest cuisine of pub food and uh mexican white queso but really it's just what i like but should anybody share in this i'm glad we're connecting right now uh i don't know if my sister's gonna have time to listen to this before i post it but she tells me when i talk about something for too long and i can just hear her being like well it was so funny it just I, I feel like you talked about buffalo chicken just like a minute too long <laughs> um but yeah so the the sublet with the, the donuts by the Jolasco that turned out to be a great situation we found on Craigslist. And most great things in my life have come from Craigslist. Most of our furniture is entirely from Craigslist. Most of, I, I've made serious money selling myself on Craigslist. I've commissioned artwork from there, from artists in the gig section. Uh, when Greg and I first started dating, he, he uh, recruited somebody for a pub trivia team. And I, I know what you're thinking. That might sound dangerous or perhaps excessive but there's this one place in chicago and the prize is like a thousand dollars and when we first moved here and had nothing better to do we would go and w a we both really love trivia and have pretty good memories but we we're I, i'm strong in like pop culture and tv and i'm pretty good at like u.s history because if you grow up in virginia they kind of like stop talking about history after the night like the 19th century 
So I not I know a lot about like the American Revolution, the Civil War, uh, but for some reason the 1900s hit, and I'm like I'm drawing blanks. Whereas Greg grew up in Michigan, and they like aren't just about that 13 colony life, and he knows a good amount about the 20th century. But beyond that. I do feel we're a little weak in world history, and I do feel like we're a little bit weak in movies. Um, we some at some sciences we're we're better at than others, and you just if you're going to win big, you got to cover your bases. So we were trying to recruit somebody who was stronger in the categories where we were weaker in order to present a more well-rounded team. Now, saying that, I realize that sounds absurd, and we should either get friends or get cooler hobbies to solve for this problem, but. Uh, Greg posting that was one of like the cutest, funniest things I had ever seen. And uh, we had so many responses that what we ultimately decided not to bring somebody onto our pub trivia team because I was looking them up on Facebook to make sure they weren't murderers. And I had a mutual friend <laughs> with one of the respondents. And I was like, I don't know what's more embarrassing that we posted or that they responded. But regardless, I don't need anyone I know ever hearing about this, which, of course, statute of limitations is up. I can talk about it now. I think it's kind of funny. It was a different time back then, you know? There should be a bumble for trivia partners, and I can be like, hey, Kate, 30, female, Chicago, strong in pop culture and the American Revolution, bad with dates, great with state capitals, great with geography, horrendous at any movie that wasn't produced by Nancy Myers or John Hughes or... Whoever made The Devil Wears Prada. I don't know. Is, are there other movies? I'm not even sure. <laughs> I've, I've like, I actually think I do have range when it comes to television, but I do not have range when it comes to movies. I don't have the attention span for movies. It's too much of a commitment to pick a movie, so I just never watch them. But I can, I can handle a pilot. I can handle a few eps of a TV show. I love, I, there's a warm feeling I have in my belly when uh, I am told that there's a fantastic show that I could spend the next week slowly working my way through while I get stuff done. I have so much more fun doing work when I have great content in the background, and lately I've been struggling a bit to get into things. Oh, and what I was talking about with Craigslist, I had found this one sublet that was too good to be true. And I tell you this just to spread a, a awareness, but uh, there was a sublet that was a really good price in Lincoln Park that had beautiful, clean, white photos, you know, had an orchid, love a nice touch like that, um, that was available month to month. And uh, I emailed them. They were so nice, so thorough, had like a really lengthy, thought out email, almost like an Airbnb host would that seemed a little canned, but wasn't didn't I didn't flag. Um, but there were two things that I noticed because I, I feel like it was a one bed or maybe a big studio under $1,500 on a really good street, which seemed to be well-decorated. The two things that made me suspicious were, one, the way they said their job. They said their first and last name, their job title, and their company, which I thought, okay. If I, if I were in this position and a bunch of randos were reaching out to me, I would just be like, I work in finance, I work in market research, whatever. Secondly, there's a way people write if English isn't their second language which is totally fine, and I would 100% rep from anybody. English is their first language or not. But there's a way you write when it's not English is your second language that is very natural and you intersperse words and you maybe misplace articles, verbs, whatever, versus a way that is so overly formal and uses no figures of speech that it's almost like you're trying to hide the fact that English isn't your first language. And the only reason I say that is because 
majority of these scams are run overseas, so it's an important watch out. I did find that language to be um, like it was typed through a translator. Um, and I looked up the woman on LinkedIn and her title and company and name tracked, but it almost felt like it was copied and pasted from this LinkedIn profile. And again, with a job formality. So then just based on that alone, I did a Google reverse image search of the apartment photos. Sure enough, they were stock photos. They weren't there on Shutterstock or something. They weren't real. It was not a real apartment. And clearly they were running a scam. There's not a lot you can do on Craigslist. You obviously click report. Obviously, I gave them a piece of my mind. Um, I mean, I've even had friends have this happen with apartments on like a much larger scale. And they're like so hard to find, especially overseas. But part of, like there's a small part of me that wanted to be like, dude, if you really want to run a scam, here's a few things you need to think through. Because I was almost like, I'm not dumb. But at the same time, those are subtle things that I, I've uh, spent enough time on Craigslist to spot. And it, it, it really is maddening to think that they're getting, you know, twelve, fifteen hundred dollars here and there from people that think they're getting a vacation rental. It's it's so crappy. So just a PSA, things to look out for. Google reverse image search is your friend, whether you're dating, whether you're renting, whatever it may be. I uh, this guy's kind of the exception though, because typically I'm amazed at how smart criminals are. Like the level of detail you have to think through and how strategic you have to be in order to pull off. An elaborate crime is impressive and almost sad that the, that sort of uh, intelligence and talent isn't being used for something different in the world, you know? On the rare, rare occasion, I watch something about, you know, a criminal that never got convicted that's obviously so guilty and they don't have enough evidence to convict someone of a crime. And it, it, I'm just like, if, if in the event they, they are guilty... And they can't calibrate all this evidence. And they covered their trait, like every trace, every step so well. It's, it, it blows my mind because I so would not be able to orchestrate that. If you guys follow me on Instagram, I have posted a couple times the story of that catch me if you can style situation where that girl in a Delvey, uh, she's a fake socialite and she conned people out of like $600,000 over the course of a year or two by pretending she had more money than she did. So she just would never pay anything because she was always like handing out hundos to everyone. And it's almost to the point where if somebody says, and you see that somebody has so much money, it's almost easy to think that they, it must just be an oversight or an accident of them not paying a bill or something and that they'll definitely come back and they're good for it. So you don't press it at the time. I mean, it was, it's a really crazy case and she's in Rikers now and still doesn't know what she did wrong. And I don't know, guys. Oh, yeah. Speaking of crime adjacent things, when you look at the podcast charts in the podcast universe or in like the Facebook groups I am with other podcasts when the girls are like, what other, you know, podcasts do you listen to? And every answer is like, I love murder, 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 super murder, my favorite murder, murder's the best, murder.com. Let's talk about murders. Me and my BFF drink mimosas and talk about murders. It's like, oh my God, why is everything about murders? Why do you guys like murders so much? That's... I don't know. There's this crazy true crime fascination. Most people I know were really into it. I just am so not. It takes me to a dark place. Sometimes I can get really into it. Like I, I like Dirty John. I, when there was that relapse of all that John Bonet stuff, I got in pretty far. It was definitely Burke. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I can get into the bigger cases sometimes that have almost been like over sensationalized. But some of these smaller, darker, small town, mysterious cases just really get to me. And I'm amazed that so many of you unwind. 
to true horror stories. <laughs> I, I, I think I made it clear. I don't, you know, when it comes to TV shows, I don't do law. I don't do order. I don't do cops. I don't do fire. I don't do medical. I can't even watch Grey's. I, uh, Jax Taylor on Vanderpump Rules has had three rhinoplasties. And every few episodes, they decide to do a flashback to one. And it haunts my dreams. And it's just, it's not, I just, I don't watch TV to feel worse. I don't know. I should have made my podcast name something that kind of like merges like crime and pop culture, but like doesn't really. So it'll just, you know, the title will get people to watch it. I don't think Be There in Five Murders is going to do. Be There in Five of No. Uh, NCI, yes. (laughs) I like that. Anyway, I feel like my uh, disinterest in true crime is going to make me lose a lot of points with a lot of you that love that stuff. Maybe I would if I gave it a shot and I wasn't so scared, but uh, I don't know. I, well, here's the thing, too, is I've li- I've, I did serial. Like, I'll do the popular stuff. I, I hate being scared, but I hate feeling irrelevant more. So what are you going to do if it's hugely popular? I'll listen. I hear the girls from My Favorite Murder are, like, outstanding, and, you know, maybe I'd like it. So I'll consider Anyway, moving on. Back to Eric Carmen. I am 25 minutes in and still have not explained my song choice in full. One reason I love that song, not just because of my general feeling of a loss of control this week, but because he is an example of the type of song I love where an artist has hits that are not as big as their primary song, but they're still really good. They're just overshadowed because they had a major, major hit. So Eric Carmen is best known for two things, Hungry Eyes and Dirty Dancing. Secondly, he's known for um, All By Myself, which was made a little bit more famous by Celine Dion. It's kind of a Whitney Houston, Dolly Parton situation. Dolly Parton originally saying, I will always love you. Whitney Houston kind of uh, made it more famous. And ha- it has more le- that version has more legs with people in my generation, I'd say, even though they're both equally good. Same with Eric Carmen and Celine Dion. Um, but he has Make Me Lose Control is one of his other hits. That I think is it's a really good buildable example of like an 80s fist pumping song, but like not, not it's not over the top. It's a little it's still kind of controlled, but has that great um, like acapella singing at the end. And I just I don't know. I'm a huge fan of the song and I don't think it gets enough credit. And I have a soft spot for 80s music because, you know, when I first started dating Greg, we lived in New York and we would he like was really into going to Canal Room on Saturdays and listening to this cover, 80s cover band called Rubik's Cube, who actually to book for events is very expensive. Trust me, I've looked into it. And uh, I just have such fond memories of him being like fairly reserved otherwise, but like really loving this 80s uh, cover band. And uh, they did not sing Eric Carmen, but you know, they sing kind of the, the bigger hits, you know, your 99 Red Balloons, your White Snakes, your jump by van halen uh they definitely do, do, do don't stop believing they do those like big heavy hitters uh jesse's girl what's the song everyone ends the night to take me home tonight eddie money th- th- that's that's a canal room vibe and i i think eric carmen gets lost in all that but actually is t- is take me home tonight I, in college our ending song was always like semi-sonic closing time and Here's the thing. Semi-sonic, like, that, that, is, that is textbook pandering. You don't, like, to write a song and pen the lyrics, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here is, like, 
I'm gonna be played in every bar for all time. Like they, they, they knew what they were doing. I hope they get the royalties. Good for Semisonic. Don't think they had another popular song. But like, I just, just because it says closing time doesn't mean that has to be the song everyone plays at every bar when you have to leave. I think it'd be funnier to play a song that people don't know how to emotionally react to or that isn't even popular or anyone cares about or is like a bad cover of like an okay song. For example, uh, Jessica Simpson's version of Robbie Williams' Angels, where she just had started really playing with her voice in a way that I can't explain because I don't understand like musical stuff and like your register. But it's when, because do you remember she started out like, boy, I think that I'm in love with you. And it was like smooth and easy and she was talented. She hit notes, it would be whatever. Turned into like almost a parody of what somebody impersonating like an overly emphatic singer would do. A lot of neck and mouth movements, a lot of high school dance team faces, a lot of like unnecessary inflection of her voice. And it just seemed like her voice deteriorated. So she was having to do like all of this showy stuff to guys that she couldn't hit notes. That was my interpretation. Who really knows? But if you were out at night feeling yourself, crushing it, like about to go home with someone, you're dancing, you listen to good music, and you heard this come on, like, wouldn't you go home like pretty fast? vocal strain right like is that normal my larynx hurts just listening to that I uh here's the thing that is a good song and my point is that you have to pick a song it's a weird cover but it's still like you know the composition is somewhat moving but the artist is somewhat cheesy but it's not cheesy enough where you can like laugh and sing and it's more moving to where you might tip the scale on, on, on the, you know, the, the sad side of things. You know how sometimes when you're in the two to 4 a.m. range, you're really teetering between, you know, best night ever and going to go cry in a spicy chicken sandwich. I, um, I think Angel could take me to a dark place. But if it was Jessica Simpson and Nick Lachey's version of Take My Breath Away, you could laugh and kind of sing and make fun of her. So there, there, there's like a middle ground you have to achieve. I mean, what else has been happening this week? I mean, Kim Kardashian at the White House. I weirdly, I don't really have anything to say about that. I mean, sure. It's the same thing with Courtney, uh, you know, storming Capitol Hill about eco-friendly beauty products. Like, if you, based on their history and based on the amount of money they've received for what's publicly perceived to be doing nothing— if they have a cause that is near and dear to them and can ultimately improve somebody's life, I have no complaint. It's the reality of the world today that, that these people have influence, and if they're going to influence something positive, why the hell not? I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did. I, as long as you love to contribute to society in a meaningful way and whatever is meaningful to you personally and not necessarily, it doesn't have to be what's meaningful to everybody else. And she seems to be very passionate about... Um, 
is it prison reform? Is she trying to get somebody out of a life sentence for a first time drug offense? Which, I mean, I support that. I feel like, and I know this is the most basic thing to say ever, but after when I, a while ago, once I watched Orange is the New Black and experienced the characters, you know, life trajectory through different episodes and then watch documentaries about prison, I got to say it is eye-opening because you just kind of grow up with this assumption. It's like a place where bad people are put away and they should stay there. But then you make mistakes as an adult and you evolve and you want to owe other people that same grace, especially for offenses where people aren't harming other people in the process. They're just breaking a law that impacts themselves. It kind of makes you think. And now I'm not trying to make a political statement. I really know nothing about this topic, but uh, it is something I've thought more about as an adult because think of all the stupid stuff you've done and if you were still paying for it as the person you are now and you didn't get that experience. You know, it's pretty pretty crazy to think about. I mean, I, I've, I've hopped the fence at a few you know, high school parties. And I mean, never, I've never really done anything crazy by any stretch. I talked my way out of one speeding ticket. I got pulled over one time because I was going 46 and they said it was a 25. And I was like, no, this, even if this is marked 25, I took my driver's test and I studied in it. And it technically should be business and not residential. And it should be 35. And the street signs were few and far between. So all I had to rely on was my knowledge of speed zones. And I wasn't rude. I was just like, honestly, I, 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 you know, I'm not cruising USA here at 46. I really thought it was 35. And this is why. And can you tell me where the last marker of the speed limit was? Anyway, the guy ultimately let me out of the ticket, if anything, because I was just a pain in the ass. I am polite, but... I'm firm when I think I'm correct. And now I wouldn't do that. It's, it's only a young, naive person has the cojones to take on a police officer about you not being the problem speeding, but the road having not enough signs being the problem. Um, but anyways, I, I, I'm not really like a rule breaker, but it, be, mistakes happen. People do stupid stuff. And you just, you, you want to think that there's an element of forgiveness as long as there's a pattern involved, you know? So, hey, good for Kim if she can make a difference because Lord knows she's not moving the needle with those space pants, her biker shorts and her clear heels and her 90s windbreakers and her chunky Kirkland signature ribbed men's socks with Yeezys. I, 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 it's part, honestly, part of me thinks it's like a social experiment to see how much influence they have, and if people are going to start wearing Kirkland signature ribbed, chunky men's medium height socks, and then just kind of like laugh about it when people say, you know, reality stars aren't influential or aren't important or aren't relevant to society, because that's something Kanye would do. He kind of disappeared for a bit after that whole Twitter thing. That was weird. Did he have, did he have an album come out? See, I don't even know. I know he would, like is working on stuff, and I know he spent 80K to the rights of Whitney Houston's bathroom photo for that collab he had with another artist, and the artist was kind of like, I didn't really want this cover, but he felt strongly about it, and it's, it's interesting. I mean, he's very caught up in the concept of being a visionary and how all great innovators were at one point called crazy and retrospectively heralded as geniuses. But there's got to be a balance, right? I mean, I think that you can't live 
you need to fight the good fight for what you think is important, but you can't just live in hopes of getting that legacy. Because I almost think you would just go so mad in your own mortal life that all of that wouldn't even be worth it if you couldn't see the benefit of it. So it's like, be a genius and press forward without steamrolling. But like, would you get famous and be a legacy without steamrolling? Like, I don't know. This is also explored in Hamilton, something I just, I wish... I did this podcast two years ago so we could be deep diving into Hamilton all the time because, frankly, I still want to talk about it. Um, But, yeah, I I think the problem is is when there's a lack of sincerity and you're saying things using those past innovators as a proxy in hopes to emulate their life, it doesn't land because you need... Those people were so sincerely pushing what they thought was right. That was just what was natural to them. And it just so happened that the people thought they were crazy and then they became famous for ultimately being right. But when you're calling yourself that in your own lifetime and doing things because other people did them and it worked for them, I think that's when you need to find a new route. I don't like, I I think, I don't know. I go back and forth between thinking he means well and he really has a vision and he sees something other people don't, and his mind works in a way that other people don't understand. I go back and forth between that and thinking everything's a publicity stunt, and it's all so intentional, and he's, like, just trying to prove of some kind, which, of which I don't know what that is. Um, but even, you know, having all, doing those mannequins of all the naked people in the famous video, like, no one was really talking about that. It's, it's really hard to shock people anymore, and I think we're heading toward a cultural shift where subtlety is far more shocking than broad, sweeping, intentional, taboo things that are created not with art in mind, but of the, in, with the intention of grabbing attention. <laughs> um, the, 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 the Madonna model, if you will, that it worked for so many years. The Britney kissing Madonna. Then Christina. It, it, that, that, that sort of stuff used to just take the nation by storm. And now... We're more shocked at Meghan Markle's ill-fitting boat neck super plain wedding dress than we were at Donald Trump and Taylor Swift and Kanye and Kim lying naked next to each other in wax mannequin form in a music video. <laughs> um, anywho, my phone just died. I was looking through Daily Mail, but right before I closed it, it said Bella Hadid insists she's never had any filler or work done to her face. And oh my God, I'm banging my head against the table. Guys, like, I just, filler and Botox, and stuff's just not a big deal. Botox changes lives, it changes faces. It, it got rid of my scowl. I, I used to have a face where people just were always asking me if I was lost or angry. And you just get a little baby Botox, like a handful of units, right in between the brow. I did it when I was younger. And it truly got rid of, like, a crevice of a wrinkle I had from scowling my whole life. And I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I, people get really upset about it, and I just don't really understand why. Uh, it's your life and your face and you can go too far. Like the picture I posted yesterday of Sheena Shea looking like Heather Dubrow looking, she just, it was weird because it was following a series of photos where she vaguely looked like herself, but they were all filtered like Snapchat filters. And then that photo where she just looked so puffy and her eyes looked wider as if they had been lifted. And yeah, I don't know what's going on, but the thing with injections are they are temporary fillers dissolve and Botox goes away and Whatever. It's available to you, and especially if you're in an industry where your face is your product, I understand. However, I think you got to be honest about it. I do think that is a level of accountability we have to each other. I know nobody's entitled to your personal information, 
we all know, um, you know, magazines are photoshopped, right? That we, it, it is what it is. I think that sure people come down on photoshopping for communicating unrealistic standards of beauty, but at the same time, we, it's so ubiquitous. We all know it's done. I know I don't look at a magazine and think, you know, wow, I want to be that person. That's a realistic body type to strive for. I, I think my rib cage can, you know, be the circumference of a magnum wine bottle, for example. That's like the only thing I can think of, the cylindrical that I see in my everyday life. You know, that's a funny gift because on the one hand, you know, quantity over quality in my book, but on the other hand, a magnum is something you only want to open if you have at least like six people around because wine's really only in its prime for 24 hours. And, you know, I'm lucky if I can get six people together. I guess I could take it to a BYOB, but like, that's a two-handed pour. That That's a tough thing to begin with. And do I really want to bring a magnum to a nice restaurant? I, it's things that are cartoonishly large are off-putting, I think, in public places. I, not, and I say that but in private. Are they any less weird? I don't know. What am I talking about? Ah, yes, I was talking about more serious topics. Um, I think that more recently, especially with content being so much more uh, celebrity generated, they post their own photos and then we have paparazzi videos and footage of plenty. You see stars way more in the context of day-to-day life and events in real time than you do in super photoshopped artificial magazine covers. But that said, it makes you realize they're still insanely, unrealistically gorgeous, and that's probably what got them there in the first place. It's, yes, the Photoshop's part of it, but also they're just beautiful people. So I, I guess I'm just kind of over obsessing about if people do or don't have filler or Botox, what they've done to their face, or, you know... The, the shaming people for the crazy face tune or whatever. I, I feel like there's somewhat of a Photoshop witch hunt right now or face tune witch hunt. And granted, I love a third arm as, as much as the next guy. It's incredibly entertaining, but I feel like we're at the point where we all know what happens and that just can't be the focal point of uh, conversations surrounding self-esteem anymore. Trust me, as a woman, I, I, I understand wholeheartedly the notion of comparing, the, the problem of comparing yourself to an unrealistic standard and the effect it can especially have on a young woman. But I think we're at the point now where we're even laughing at Photoshop. Everyone is just calling it out left and right, and it's still being done. It just goes to show that we have absolutely no control over it. So whichever, like, people just aren't going to post real untouched photos. Like, It'd be nice if it changed, but until that point, I've always felt like the discussion needs to be shifted away from getting people to stop looking artificial or posting artificial things. Because in representing all of those things as as having such an obvious and unavoidable negative cause and effect on women, but I think we hugely overstate its direct impact on self-esteem issues, and in turn hugely under understate what should make a woman confident in the first place. Like, I mean, yeah, like I said earlier, well, I think it's pointless on principle to argue for slightly less perfect images of people with otherworldly looks. I also think it's hugely counterproductive in addressing like the greater issue of, of low self-esteem because all that's promoting is that there should be more attainable parameters on the yardstick we use to inevitably compare ourselves to other people 
not that we should rid of the comparisons in the first place. And I'm the first person to say like comparison competition, like as a friend, you have to greet it's, it's at your door. It's going to be there. You can't get rid of it to a degree, but it's also important from a young age, whether you mentor young woman, whether you are raising kids, you want to have kids, you're working on yourself to just accept that throughout life, like, everyone, everyone, even the people you perceive as the best comes across people who have better natural looks or talents that seem unfair or attainable. There, there will always be somebody more attractive, better qualified, more intelligent, more successful in the world. And I feel like we're doing young women a disservice suggesting otherwise that the focus should be on making sure that people aren't allowed to perceive or portray themselves so perfectly. To me, that sends a message of they can't do this because it makes us feel bad about ourselves. I, but that's a symptom and not a root cause. The root cause is why do we feel so bad about ourselves in general? I just, I don't know. I always want to, I, I think about this because like but through big brothers, big sisters, through when I've been in a position to mentor young women, I just always try to remind myself that like confidence isn't your self-worth relative to other people. It's a belief and respect for yourself despite the influence of other people. So why do we want to give ourselves more attainable standards rather than encourage ourselves not to abide by any sort of standard? I I just have always felt like confidence is a fine line between a comparison and an observation. Whether a person is a model or in your math class, we need to learn how to observe others' strengths without discounting our own. And I, I don't want my future daughter to think that her opinion of herself should be contingent on how pretty or smart her peers are or how perfect someone's Instagram feed is, how thin a celebrity is. That's what I mean by attacking the root cause because there's always going to be so many external factors we can't control. But why, why is our default setting to feel bad about ourselves? And why are we attacking the things we compare ourselves to instead of addressing the reason we need, feel the need to compare ourselves in the first place. And I offer this up as a point of discussion. I don't have a solution. I just mean, I don't know that, that constructing a society, eliminating all of the guardrails of comparison is really going to solve for anything. And I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from a person that's experienced this. I, I don't know why. Um, before I started to be there in five, I was a black belt, not karate. It's a Six Sigma business process improvement position where you're an internal consultant that uh, aims to achieve operational efficiencies within organizations through a series of methodologies called Lean, called Six Sigma. Um, and basically, it's, all, it's, it's solving complex problems and finding ways to eliminate waste and rework and to stop bottlenecks so your business can run as smooth as possible and to see significant organizational change. One of the biggest takeaways I had from this job, I, didn't, I never felt very good at it. Um, I, I liked doing it because I'm not, I, don't, I don't sit still well. Like I always want to be changing and improving stuff, and it seemed like a job where you were like paid to stick your nose where it doesn't belong and try to make things better as opposed to my previous bosses that were like, just stay in your lane. <laughs> but I, well, the biggest takeaway for me was root cause analysis, like using the five whys, using tools to get to act, what is actually going on instead of solving for one of the 
symptoms that's the easier thing to blame and then only making the problem worse down the line by choosing a quicker non-data-driven fix. An example would be like, okay, the problem is the client's getting data late and you're going to lose your contract with them. Why is the client constantly getting data late? And then you, you go and interview the team in the discovery phase. You ask why the data is being delivered late. They say it's because this system just takes too long. We need a faster system. Okay, well, solving that problem to reconstruct an entire complicated data delivery system is out of the question. Too much money, too much labor, whatever. So most people would be like, well, is what it is. The whole point of like a a BPI type process is that it never is what it is. (laughs) There's always a better way. So when you go in and dive deep and look at the broad process of wing to wing for the client to get their data on time, what happens and you're able to quantify each piece of the process. And you can see where the bulk of the waste is and the easiest thing to change is or the thing using the least resources. So an example would be figuring out that if we can't change the turnaround time of the system, what, what else is there that's contributing to that's contributing waste to the process? And in, like this, in this case, the answer was that it was taking people's computers too long to boot up. And that if we could solve for a much easier, lower resources problem, like getting new computer hardware, updating software, whatever, so people wouldn't, it wouldn't be taking people, you know, 10-ish minutes just to turn on their computer and get all their applications to load, then the deadlines would actually be met without having to reconstruct an entire complicated data system. Sorry, that was so boring. But my point is, it taught me to look at problems in a totally different way that when I feel like things aren't changing, no matter how abstract they are, it's probably because we're pointing at the wrong things. And it's interesting to think about what else might be feeding in to the system. But um, anyway, and I, I don't want to <laughs> seem like I'm preaching. I, like anybody else, have overcome a great deal of, of body and confidence, confidence issues. And I talked earlier jokingly about my fluctuation and... Um, how, I, I don't know, I, I've been doing more work in this space as somebody that lacked a, a great deal of confidence until I was farther in my 20s. I'd say things really changed for me when I left college. And I've, I, I was always so like deeply insecure. But the thing is, it, it actually didn't, it never like took control of me or got the best of me. Because I I felt that way when I was like in school and around my peers. But when I came home, my parents never put stock in like your appearance or boys or like, I I don't know. I I just always felt like they, their messaging was focused on the right things. Like if I came home and was devastated about a heartbreak, my mom would be like, I'm sorry, you know, it's okay. Things are going to be fine. Let's move on. She didn't like overreact. And I remember at the time being like, doesn't she get it? My heart's broken. But now I see that like, it's almost like why I can't have tugboat. I can't overreact when uh, I stay, I, I leave, or I come home because it's, re, it's validating his anxiety about it. It's it, in doing that and not really reacting to things that didn't effectively matter in the grand scheme of things, but then really reacting to, you know, if I got a good grade on a math test, there's like a parade. Um, like having that sort of safe place at home where I, I wasn't being judged for the same things I felt I was judged for amongst my peers, where my, what made me different was nurtured, where 
all the things that made me did not feel like the other kids when I came home. It was fine. It was encouraged. My using your gifts in any way you could was paramount. Trying was paramount. I was never shamed for losing or not being the best or anything like that. I think I've I've tried to think this out because I, I really think that my parents did such a good job that in in the environment that kids that teenagers are in offsetting the way a lot of people are inevitably going to feel. And my problem is, why do we feel that way? Like, I don't even, I, I, I hate to say human nature, because again, I think that's just an easy, an easy finger to point. Um, I don't know. I think it more so comes down to how we treat each other, how we talk to each other. Uh, perhaps just an element of exclusivity that can happen, of wanting to fit in, wanting to be cool, wanting to have friends. I mean, there's so much that goes into it in your youth and so much that impacts you later in life that, like, I don't know, I, I, I find very fascinating to unpack. I want to go to, like, re- regressive psychotherapy uh, where you, like, essentially get hip- hypnotized and speak from your subconscious and you're able to identify a lot of root causes that live in your brain. But since we don't use 98% of it, you don't real, your front, your frontal lobe or whatever can't access it, but it's still there. So in kind of releasing it, you're able to connect a lot of the reasons you might have fears or anxieties or whatever. I have an entire story about that concept. That's like crazy that I don't have time for not about my own thing, but like with the regression therapy, but with, something else that happened a couple years ago it was a bonkers coincidence that I have to tell and I just now remembered my sister's coming this weekend and she's roughly involved in the story maybe we'll podcast together okay I'm nearing the end and I'm trying to loop back to why I was talking about all of this I was talking about Photoshop and phase two now I think we're focusing on the wrong things oh yeah and I was kind of bringing it back to like uh I mentioned on um, Instagram this week how I saw a mat out in the wild that was a knockoff of one of mine. It used to, like, ruin me when that happened. But this time I felt genuinely, like, at peace. Like, wow, how cool is it that some intangible idea I had materialized into a product that I put into market and there was enough demand for it that now people replicate it to profit off themselves. Like, that's crazy. My ideas have legs. I'll have more ideas. That was the first time I felt that way. And that sounds kind of weird to say. But honestly, I it was a moment for me because... It's been so hard for me in business not to just like compare my level of success to other people's, not to admit that I don't want the success that looks like other people's, that I, I don't know. And I, I mentioned at the beginning of when I started this podcast, I wanted it to be about being in the middle, about not having no idea where you're going or, and just doing a series of small steps that you hope leads you somewhere that you're at a dinner party one day and you're telling people the thing you're doing right now is the thing you needed to do to get where you're ultimately going. That's all we can hope for. And that's where I really try to live in my headspace. But some days it's way more difficult than others. And, you know, there are long periods of time where like nothing ever happens. And like, I think now I'm just doing so many small things and just seeing what sticks. And I don't know what it's going to look like. And it's hard. I don't really have anything to show for myself when people like are asking me what I'm doing. I mean, Obviously, like this podcast is like such a passion project and I love it. But to someone that doesn't listen to podcasts, it's like, huh, what is that? To someone who listens to serious ones like NPR and like uh, from serious authorities, it probably sounds really gratuitous. And I just find myself like trying to explain to people what I'm doing now and feeling really self-conscious about it. And I don't know. I don't know why. I, I, I wish I wasn't, but having that moment where the 
Matt didn't bother me as much as it once did. I was excited about and I wanted to acknowledge that I had made progress in that space because not being so, uh, not having competition, copycats, people making more money than me, sucking the life out of me is something I've worked hard at and is something I'm continuing to work hard at. But the more you can relinquish that need for validation or the need to keep up, the more it frees up space to be creative and to be vulnerable and to try new things and to share your experience. Because I think there's something about feeling behind and feeling self-conscious that leaves you very guarded and very closed off because you're so fearful of the rejection that you think putting it out there, the costs outweigh the benefits. And I really don't think that's the case. And um, I always just want to encourage people, you know, not to put too much emphasis on what other people are doing. And I don't know. And I, as I preach, I'm like telling this to myself because these are things I experience regularly and also try to uh, help people to stop doing to themselves. The, the way I always think about it is that like your career is like, it's like decorating a home in that the best, the, the best home decor is the home that's filled with stuff you like. If you try too hard to be modern, traditional, Hollywood, Regency, whatever, it's going to look like somebody else's house because it's not your unique, specific taste. So if you fill your house or your career or whatever with little individual things that you like and you care about and that speak to you over time, it's all going to make sense and it's all going to look good together because they're things you like, you care about, it's your taste. And why would you look at a bunch of stuff you really care about and love and see them as being just disjointed or not making sense because it doesn't meet another design style? I, I, I don't know if that's a good analogy, <coughs> but like I can't describe my taste in home decor at all because it's just filled with a bunch of stuff that's spoken to me over time, but I love it. And uh, whenever I buy something that's like theoretically matching with what I'm trying to do, I always hate it. So I, all of that said, in, in the past 20 minutes, I could have just said that I really do believe in so many aspects of life, we need to be focusing on confidence despite our surroundings and not relative to our surroundings. And I guess that feeds into my broader theme of a loss of control. It started out with a sadder loss of control, and I suppose I'm trying to end on a more peaceful loss of control. We can't control what other people are doing, whether to their face or putting out in the world or their ideas or their level of success or their appearance or whatever. There's always going to be somebody who appears to be better off. And no, I don't feel this way every minute of every day. But in my more peaceful moments, in my moments of brief introspection, I try to give myself credit for where I've struggled and where I've evolved, and I encourage you to do the same. I'm not going to tell you have to journal or do morning pages or anything epic. Sometimes those self-care things, I think, feel overwhelming to me because it seems like yet another goal or like task I'm going to give myself that I'm not going to complete, and then I'm going to feel bad about the thing I'm trying to do to stop making myself feel bad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, whether it's going to get a glass of wine alone, typing on an iPhone note, whether it's a good conversation with a friend, whether it's checking in, with yourself now and again to be like, how am I feeling? Why do I feel this way? What are the symptoms? What are the root causes? What is driving the bulk of this behavior I, that is not desirable or not serving me right now? And what can I do to change it? And perhaps that's intuitive, but it's been uh, very helpful for me in navigating you know, some of the more difficult moments of uh, self-employment the past year of how I feel about myself, of why, why the hell am I pounding so many donut holes, you know? 
Like, I, I, I can blame the Jewel Osco. I can blame the sugar addiction, but, like, is that really it? No. Uh, there's too much to unpack there, guys, and I got to get going. Um, but thank you so, so much for listening, for allowing me to keep you company while you're doing your most mundane tasks. I listen to podcasts while I'm doing dishes, while I'm cleaning, while I'm walking the dog. Not that I don't love him, but he takes, he, he takes his sweet time to sniff around. And all I'm thinking the whole time is just like, holy Giardia, what other dogs have peed here? Um, I, I am honestly honored that, that uh, several of you come back each week and really uh, make an effort to reach out and engage with me and or leave a review or subscribe or whatever you're doing. It's not lost on me. I do check it. I'm not that breezy. I, uh, I am always looking and I'm always paying attention. And trust me when I say I notice the, one, the ones of you that message me a lot and are active and uh, you're on my list. I, the, the, the people, you all, like, w- w- tr- even when I had absolutely nobody responding to my stories, not that I have a lot now, but like, I will always remember the first people to be like, hey, I think you're funny. I like what you have to say. I think you should start a podcast. Like, I write you down. I'm keeping you there. And if I can ever help you out, you sure as hell bet I will. Um, so anyway, with that, I'm going to sign off with another relative song. I, I love, I love a riff off of sorts of two songs with similar or the same title, two totally different vibes and meanings. You can string it all together. I'm building full playlists of this riff off notion, whether you're in the middle with Jimmy each eat eat world, and then you go to the middle with BB Rexa and Zed or you're creeping with Radiohead and then you creep with TLC. I, I, I love that concept of, a, of comparing two songs with the same title and seeing where, where we can venture in between the two. So I uh, hope you don't mind if we explore that going forward. And uh, enjoy this next tune because when I heard it, I thought, God, they don't make them like this anymore. It's a toe tapper. It's a song that transports me to a little bar called Tots in Blacksburg, Virginia, where... For unknown reasons, I thought it was a good idea to perform choreography at a fraternity philanthropy event with my sorority sisters. And we wore wife beaters again. I hate that term, and I really want to change it. It's disgusting and horrible. But if you don't say that word, it doesn't get the the style across because they're truly a hideous top with uh, pink tank tops underneath pulled down and gauchos which are the most confusing of pants, yet the most comfortable. Tight, high-waisted, suck-in waistband. Loose, breezy, cool out of a trouser. Truly could not win more in terms of comfort and lose more in terms of style. We danced to this song, and it is truly haunts my dreams, but I hope you enjoy it nonetheless. So with that said, let me know your thoughts, and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. Chubby waist, thick legs in shape Rump shaking both ways Make you do a double take Planet rock a showstopper Float proper, head knocker Beat scholar, tail dropper Do my thing, motherfucker Rolls Royce, Lamborghini, Blue Medina Always beaming, rag top, chrome pipes Blue lights, out of sight Long so lean, say it again, so lean Make that money 